0: Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you had an amazing uh, Christmas. So throughout the series, over the last uh, four weeks or so, we've said that uh, in Jesus, we can be confident that God gets us because he's experienced what we experience, right? Remember, Jesus is Emmanuel, which is God with us, and he left his home in heaven to bring us hope and peace and joy here on earth. Now, with that said, uh, I have to ask you, um, have you ever kind of felt like the, the days following Christmas can kind of s- sort of feel like a, a little bit of a downer? I mean, the lights are still up, the decorations are still out, but it's just, it's not Christmas anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, anybody feel that kind of sense of, you know, sorrow or melancholy? Um, I don't know if it's just a me thing, if it's an everybody thing, if it's a preacher thing, but a lot of times, like the Sunday uh, following Christmas, can just be a little bit. Anybody feel that way? Not this morning, obviously, I mean, uh, because this is going to be great, but uh, the days just following Christmas, just (laughs) right. The days just following Christmas just seem to be a little bit heavy. And I can be, if I'm be totally transparent with you, after Christmas I get a little bit more uh, cranky and crotchety. um, And what that kind of looks like. So leading up to Christmas, you you go outside and it's kind of cold outside. And maybe you have to like scrape ice off your windshield or you can see your breath. That's not a big deal leading up to Christmas. Those are just, you know, it's just a reminder that (laughs) Christmas is coming. You know, let's drink hot chocolate and sit by the fire. Once Christmas has come and gone, uh, it's just an opportunity to pray for global warming. Uh, not, not, that's maybe a, just a little bit too far. Like I said, I get cranky and crotchety after after Christmas. But but seriously, like you turn on the radio and like the same 11 songs that played over and over on 106.9 for the last you know month. It was fun before Christmas because you're like, guess what? <laughs> it's the season. Afterward, it's like, okay, all right, we. I'm tired of hearing about what happened last Christmas, George, let's go on to something else. Um, Or or the the decorations, I mean, the decorations are beautiful and they're, you know, they're hanging on the tree and, you know, but once Christmas has come and gone, it's, it's just, it's kind of depressing. I don't know, maybe, 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 like I said, maybe I'm just cranky and crotchety and all that. But I feel like the the days following Christmas, like the six days that we have between Christmas and New Year's, uh, kind of like typify this idea. Uh, we know that you know, Jesus has come, we celebrate that reality, but we're ready for things to be made new, right? We're ready for a fresh start, um, you know, like we're 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 done with the brokenness. Uh, we we've made the decision to follow Jesus. We've joined His team. We're encouraging others to do the same. We're ready to see uh, the world change for good. We're ready to see fruit on like a global scale, but we're just not there quite yet. You know what I mean? Like that's this week leading up to the New Year. That's kind of like a small picture of what I feel like we're living in, like as a as a people. This is what I'm going to call the already, but not yet. Jesus has already come. You know, we celebrate his birth, but we're not quite to the, thing, to the place where things are made new, and we get that fresh start just yet. And if you feel the way that I sometimes feel during this window of the year, I've got good news for you today. Jesus left his heavenly home to show us how to live in the already but not quite yet. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 begins this way. It says when they had gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now in context, the they here in verse 13, are the Magi from the east who came to Jerusalem to worship the baby who had been born king of the Jews. Now remember the Magi, they first visited King Herod and their news of a newborn baby king, it greatly disturbed Herod and the text tells us all Jerusalem with him. All right, however, Herod sends the Magi on to Bethlehem with instructions, hey, when you find this baby who's been born king of the Jews, I want you to come back and tell me so I too may worship him as well. After the Magi found the baby, they were warned in a dream about Herod's murderous intentions, and so they returned home by a different route. And according to verse 13, God also warned Joseph of the danger that Herod posed To the child. And so God instructed him to pack up everything and head for Egypt. N. T. Wright sums up this whole scene very succinctly. He says, This: Jesus, the Messiah, was born in a land and at a time of trouble, tension, violence, and fear. Banish all thoughts of Christmas, of peaceful Christmas scenes. Before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. This description seems way more accurate to what real life actually looks like. Right? The sweetness and sentimentality leading up to Christmas is only temporary because actually living in this place is frustrating and it's hard. Eggnog and Christmas cookies turn into Y-memberships and New Year's resolutions, right? That's just the way that life goes. White snow before Christmas is beautiful, uh, but after it's been around for a few days, it's no longer white and beautiful. It's grimy and gritty and gray, right? All those wonderful presents that we purchased in, in December are bills that we're going to have to pay in January and February and March. Am I right? That's what life looks like. It's hard. Our world and the people in it are broken, and the sweetness of the Christmas season wears off because life is hard. Verse 14, so he, talking about Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, I because I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, I love what we see in verse 14 and 15 because here we find Matthew's insistence that we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, okay? Even when things are at their darkest, even when things are incredibly bleak, right? Israel's Redeemer wouldn't show up on the scene to save and set free while living in the lap of of luxury, there was no point in the Messiah arriving in comfort while the world was mired in misery. Remember, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, not just God aware of us. As we read Matthew's gospel, we need to keep in mind that he was Jewish, right? And he wanted uh, for us to, to see things from a very Jewish perspective, Right? which kind of makes his gospel unique to some of the others, the watershed moment for the Jewish people, right? the, the event that was never far from their collective minds was their escape from Egypt. Remember, uh, the people of Israel, they had gone to Egypt. They too were fleeing, but they weren't fleeing oppression. They were fleeing a famine, right? and they were going to Egypt because there was going to be food there. Right? You read about it in the first couple books of the Old Testament. However, they spent about 400 years there, and when it was time to go, um, they didn't leave easily, right? The Egyptians weren't just going to let the Israelites go, they had turned them into slaves. And so uh, when we read about this in the book of Exodus, this is the occasion where Moses shows up and he stands before Pharaoh and he demands, let God's people go. But when we read the Old Testament, what we discover is while God's people Made it out of Egypt. Egypt never quite made it out of God's people. Right? You can read it for yourselves. Israel, they escaped the clutches of Egypt and the Egyptian slavery that they were living in. But almost immediately, they began to look back, to look over their shoulders and start living like the Egyptians. Right? They made idols. They complained. And then they Begged Moses, take us back to Egypt. Take us back to Egypt. There was food in Egypt. There was, you know, we had, we had delicious stuff in Egypt. Yeah, God's people made it out of Egypt, but Egypt never quite made it out of God's people. So for Matthew, the Messiah was going to complete the story of the Jewish people, but succeed where Israel had failed. Jesus' brief time in Egypt is symbolic of his ancestors' time there. His exodus, however, wouldn't just justify or, or, or free a single group of people. Right? His, his exodus from Egypt would lead ultimately to spiritual freedom for the entire world. Right? Think back to what we, we said last week when the angel spoke to the shepherds. Right? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people. Immediately uh, following the Christmas story, however, uh, we see uh, something quite, quite interesting. Uh, it's, it's life on the run. right? Not happiness, not tranquility, not stillness, not smiles. Out of the Christmas story, we see what real life looks like. And it's Irritating and it's frustrating and it's hard. Now, I'm not suggesting that we forego the sweetness and sentimentality of Christmas. I love those things. But we cannot delude ourselves into expecting them to last, not in the already, but not quite yet. Jesus left his home in heaven to bring us hope and peace and joy because. Our time here in the already but not quite yet is irritating, it's frustrating, it's hard, and it's even painful. Matthew tells us that when Herod realized that he had been duped by the Magi, that he had all the boys, two years old and younger, in the region of Bethlehem, he had them executed. Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah to capture the agony of this event it says this a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Think about it. You've probably read this passage before. Have you ever stopped long enough to consider that this slaughter happened because of Christmas? Because Jesus left heaven and came to earth, the unseen forces of evil acted in retaliation. Sure, humans were the instruments of this insanity, but make no mistake, the devil and his minions were at work behind the scenes. You may know this, and you you may not, but the Apostle John offers us a glimpse of the birth of Jesus, but he doesn't do so in his gospel, right? Matthew and Luke, they offer it in the first couple chapters of, of of their writings. That's not what we see out of John. John offers a view of the birth of Jesus, but he offers it in the book of Revelation. And his description is very different. It's much broader and it's much higher than what we see in Matthew and Luke. Summarizing Revelation chapter 12, uh, Matt Proctor writes, behind the conflict on our smaller visible world, there is a battle raging in an invisible world as large as the cosmos itself. So we have at the nativity, Christ soon to be born, but suddenly a great red dragon appears. So large, his tail sweeps a third of the stars from heaven, bent on killing the almost born child. The child is born. The dragon lunges. We hold our breath. And at the last possible moment, the child is rescued by God. It wasn't just King Herod trying to kill the baby Jesus. It was the devil himself. If you read Revelation 12, uh, you can see it for yourself. Revelation 12 is an incredible chapter filled with violence and heartache, but ultimately hope and relief. There are three major characters in the chapter. We have the pregnant woman, we have the child, and we have the seething red dragon. And John describes the child like this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. He says, she gave birth to a son, a male child who would rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Now, if you are a Jewish person living in the first century, this language is going to be Crystal clear for you. You're going to read this and you're going to know that John is talking about the Messiah. He is describing the anointed one, the Christ. So when we start to take into account John's view of the birth of Jesus and we fold that into our perspective on the already and not quite yet, our view of things begins to mature just a little bit. It reveals that there's way more going on behind the scenes than we ever realized. And it helps to explain why life in the already but not quite yet can be so frustrating, so hard, and so painful. John records the devil's response to the child's escape in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. There he writes, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus, When Satan's plan to kill the infant Jesus was thwarted, he set his sights elsewhere. He's declared war on the woman's offspring, and John tells us who those people are. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. John is explaining to his readers that when Satan failed to kill Jesus, he set his sights on the faithful, on you and on me. Christmas isn't just a time of serenity and sentimentality. It is also a reminder that we are at war and the red dragon is lurking and out for blood. In his book, The Hobbit, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, he writes, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. I don't know if you're a Tolkien fan uh but I think his uh, recommendation there is, is, is incredibly valid. So how should we live? How should we live here in the already, but not quite yet, understanding that we have an enemy lurking behind the shadows in unseen places? In Psalm 149, verse 6, the psalmist describes God's people as having an attitude of jubilant exaltation coupled with determined preparation. It says this, May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. See, living in the already but not quite yet is hard because we have an adversary, Satan, who is crafty, he's cunning, and he's powerful. But we cannot forget that we have reason to celebrate. We have cause for celebration because Christ has come. The battle is won. He has already been victorious. We have reason for jubilant exaltation. And I think when the psalmist originally wrote this, I think he literally had in mind, yes, praise with your lips and I think you should be holding a a sword in your hand. I I think he meant a physical, actual sword. But I, I want us to think about this passage in light of, what we read in the New Testament, right? Because there's a double-edged sword mentioned on a couple of occasions, at least in the New Testament. Remember what said in Hebrews? The word of God is living and active, sharper than what? Any double-edged sword, right? Remember how the armor of God is described in the book of Ephesians? The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And so I would suggest to you this morning, we have reason for jubilant exaltation because we are victorious because we are in Christ. But we need to be walking around with a double-edged sword in our hands and I I think that should be the word of God. We should cling to it with every fiber of our beings because it protects and sustains. Jesus' followers must simply remain patient And faithful, while the tension between what's broken and what's being made new is resolved. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel but when he heard that archelaus was reigning in judea in place of his father herod he was afraid to go there having been warned in a dream he withdrew to the district of galilee and he went and lived in a town called nazareth so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a nazarene let me give you just a little glimmer of hope You see, seasons of exile, they may feel like they last forever, but most of the time that's not generally the case. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, their time in Egypt was only temporary, but it accomplished so much. And because Archelaus was as evil as his dad had been, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus settled in Nazareth, which was a city that, or town, rather, that that didn't have a great reputation, all right? Nobody expected big things, significant things, important things to come from Nazareth. But this root, the root of this word, Nazir, it means branch, okay? It's kind of like calling the town Branchville, all right? And Matthew points out something that's really, really interesting, that Isaiah the prophet, who we've mentioned several times throughout this series, that Isaiah the prophet had said some 700 years before Jesus' birth, said this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You see, Isaiah prophesied that even though Jesse's family would be carted off into captivity and they would be little more than a smoldering stump, a branch would grow from his descendants and that branch would bear incredible fruit. If you read Isaiah chapter 11, again, there is no doubt that Isaiah is prophesying about the coming of Israel's Messiah. And Matthew wants to make it crystal clear that Jesus was the branch of Jesse. He even grew up in Branchville, he's saying. And his mission was to bear fruit for the Lord. Now, don't miss this. Matthew's point in the entirety of Matthew chapter 2 is that in Jesus not despite the frustrating and painful events of his birth, but through them, our Heavenly Father is providing the salvation and rescue that Israel had longed for forever. And Matthew is inviting his readers, you and me, to lean in and watch God's new exodus unfold before our very eyes in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. We must simply remain patient and faithful while the tension between what's broken and what's being made new is resolved. It's tough to live in the already but not quite yet. It's hard to deal with heartache and bear the brokenness of the world around us. But you know as well as I do, the sweetness of Christmas wears off. The Vacation comes to an end. we got to set alarms and get up and go on back to work. We're thankful that Jesus left heaven to bring us hope and peace and joy. And it's great that we set aside time every single year to reflect on his first coming. But make no mistake, right now we live... In the already but not quite yet. Which means that we have work to do. As we await his second coming. Jesus came to bring us hope. And peace. And joy. But also to show us how to live. During this season. And while we're in the already but not quite yet. We are to make disciples. Who make disciples. Who make disciples. Guys I'm so excited about where we're heading as a church. God has got some amazing things in store for you and in store for me and in store for our community. Even if we're living in the already, but not quite yet. Next week, we're gonna start a brand new series. We're gonna kick off the year and we're gonna go through the book of Mark and we're gonna pick up right here in Jesus' story and we're gonna watch how Jesus lives life and does ministry. Again, if it's our goal to become the kind of church who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, then it would be wise of us to do that the way that Jesus is, did. And, and, and the way to know how Jesus made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, is to watch him do it for ourselves. And so I hope, you know, you, you might have lots of things going on in the new year, but I hope that you make jumping into God's word with us a priority. Before we close things down for this morning. If you've never given your life to Jesus and repented of your sins and been immersed into Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. I don't have to tell you that the already but not quite yet can be brutal. Life is hard. We struggle with sorrow. We have to deal with... Heartache and addiction, all kinds of things. Life in the already but not quite yet is brutal. And you can't handle it on your own. You weren't designed to. I wasn't designed to. And thankfully, we don't have to. We have a Savior who came and did what we never could. He lived the perfect life and he died the appropriate death so that we wouldn't have to. Again, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, that invitation is yours today. If you can repent of your sins, you can be immersed into Christ, and you can start everything fresh today. And maybe you're just here and you're kind of flying solo, you're, you know, your family's doing your own thing and you need a place to belong. Again, I don't have to tell you that the already but not quite yet can be so... It can really punch you in the face. I'll just put it that way. It can can knock you for a loop. And you shouldn't have to feel like you're doing life on your own. We want to be the kind of church family that comes around you and helps you deal with difficult, challenging things. We're not always going to get things right, but we want to be committed to failing forward. When we make mistakes, when we fall, when we falter, we want to do it in pursuit of Jesus. And You know, we'd like you to fail right alongside of us, right by our side. we pick each other up, dust ourselves off, and continue to chase after the real Jesus. If you've never accepted him as your Savior, you just need a place to belong, the invitation is open to you today. I'm going to pray. The team's going to sing one last song, and if you have a decision to make, this would be a perfect time to do it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus that he was willing to leave the comfy confines of heaven to come and make his dwelling amongst us, even though life here is hard and challenging and it cost him his life. Father, I pray that if there are folks in this room that need to accept Jesus as their savior for the very first time, that you'll give them the courage and confidence to do so this morning. If there are folks who are just trying to do life alone, I pray that your Holy Spirit will will speak to their hearts, comfort any concerns that they might have, and let them know that this is a place where we can pursue your son together. We just love you and we thank you for including us in your family. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.